Okay, it's time for a little optimism. Today we're going to talk about robots, not warfighting robots, not silly dystopian science fiction themes of the rise of the machines. We're joined in this edition, uh, The Last Optimist by Mark Dassler, founder and CEO of a real company called Energy Robotics. We'll talk about the big picture for robots in their real world workforce, not the future world. We're going to talk about the future too. So inevitably, we'll have to talk about Elon Musk. I mean, the fact that he's now firmly promised that his company will soon be uh, producing and selling a genuine anthropomorphic robot that is a robot that looks like a person and walks. He's calling it Optimus, but you know, most people are just calling it the Tesla bot. Seems like it's impossible to avoid talking about Elon Musk these days. But, you know, with his enthusiasm and the hard worlds of real industries that build real things, I guess that's a good thing. Anyway, that's that's sort of the reason I invited uh, Mark Dassler to join us, aside from our shared interest in uh, maybe you could say love of robots. It's that his company is deep in the commercial market today, not in theory, but in practice, deploying real systems and services that are being used now by real businesses. The kinds of services that I'm confident, obviously, he is, we're going to see a lot more of in the immediate future. So Energy Robotics is offering companies a way to supervise, you know, provide the supervisory software, which is a term of art, the way to supervise a fleet of robots. A fleet could be a few, it could be many. They do that because, as with people, it's important to be able to, be able to train and know what your robots are doing. And they can do that because there are real commercial robots that are being used increasingly in industries. And they can do that because of the state of the cloud and software that make it relatively easy and realistic to integrate robots into human operations, not to replace humans, but to amplify them. In fact, that, that's in a sense, the theme of Mark's company. And as you know, that's the theme that runs through my book, which I will continue to remind you of, The Cloud Revolution. So like you, I love robots, as you know. That's how come we met, because I hunt for robot companies. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a bounty hunter for robots, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> and uh, it is totally appropriate, and our, and our uh, listeners know that we're talking to a German robot company, that we should be talking to a German robot company, because, well, you know, the car was invented by a German, as, we, as you well know, uh, uh, Carl Benz. And uh, the diesel engine, which changed the world more than the car in some ways, uh, <laughs> because it propels all the machines that make possible trade, uh, Rudolf Diesel, uh, which is kind of interesting. And so here we are. And you're not the only German robot company. There's lots of uh, interesting ones. Maybe the most interesting one in terms of a name is this new company that has coined the name, the number four, letter N, letter E hyphen one for the new robot for anyone. <laughs> Very interesting name. So it's a multi-purpose uh, anthropomorphic robot that will need your help. I guarantee you if you haven't, anyway, I like robots, <laughs> you like robots, but the differentiation between uh, what you do and people, companies that make a robot is that you're making the robot manager, which is what why, why we were talking. The in a sense, the as companies begin to 
buy or lease robots, you know, rent, rent a bot. Uh, and you have diverse classes of robots, just like we have diverse classes of people. You have to think about how they work, not just with people in different environments, but work together. This is a non-trivial challenge. It was an irrelevant challenge. I'm telling you your story because you know this before there were any yeah. useful robots, right? If a robot's bolted down in a cage and welding a car frame, okay, it takes software, but that's really not that hard. If the robot's roaming around on wheels or legs, interacting with people in the, in our in our environment, and you got more than one of them, gets interesting. You know, where are they? What are they doing? Who's the manager? How does the manager manage them? Hence, you know. Your company, yeah, uh, Energy Robotics, and so and what I like about what you've done is you've picked a specific market, essentially a specific class of tasks. Uh, so, you know, the market you've chosen, as your website says, for people who haven't gone there, Energy Robotics, you can find out the magic Google machine. Uh, focuses on you know chemicals industry, energy industries, power industries, which is a huge market under under addressed mm -hmm. but the specific task is inspections i mean you do lots of stuff i understand but inspections so i i have opinions on this so tell me big picture and then we're, and then, then we're going to talk about some of the cool stuff about robots like you know optimus <laughs> elon musk yeah gotta, oh yeah gotta talk about that. but yeah. first in the real world of today robots that you can buy companies buy and use now mm -hmm. you picked those two that market and you picked that uh application so yeah. obviously why and how's it going and let's just yeah, yeah. give our readers a calibration our listeners rather wonderful okay so um quite simply speaking so we're living in a world which is made for humans right so everything every plan we have built or somewhere around the world is somehow built for humans so if you want to have let's say systems which are somehow doing autonomous or automatically things in that environment, it somehow need to be capable of uh, uh, working, operating in that environment properly. So that means um, uh, if you're looking at those tasks, uh, which we are now trying to automate, and the, the reason why we want to automate is simply speaking, because we have not enough humans anymore to do the job. Uh, because of the demographic shift we see in all the Western countries, uh, sure. which is really painful, right? Um, this is sort of what can... Elon Musk has talked about, to, to mention him again, is yeah. there aren't enough people. Well, what he, that's true too, but more importantly, to your point, every every country in the sort of industrialized West is facing a shortage of employees, of workers, people yeah. who can show up and do things. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the numbers are massive, right? So there's an oil and gas company, which name I won't mention, uh, but they they calculate that by 2035, um, the, the workforce they have is only 50% of those what they have now. And the major impact of that is the democratic change. Yeah. So uh, and the, the biggest oil, uh, biggest power provider in, in Germany, for example, they know that they're going to lose in the next seven years 30% of their workforce. So... Um, that is that is a huge impact on on them um, and on their business model, um, and what what we uh, are now targeting on on it with energy robotic is to replace those humans which are not there anymore. That to to make sure that their tasks getting automated, 
Um, and um, uh, when we look at the oil and gas industry, there is one task which is specifically very dull, dangerous, and, and dirty, uh, and that is sending human around in those plants to do the uh, operator rounds, which, which normally, um, I didn't know that this job exists actually two years or three years ago when I started that business, but um, there are humans running around with pen and paper checking uh, if the motor, the pump, the pressure, the temperature, the watts, the volts, etc., are the same as they have been the shift before, just eight hours before. Right. right. But, it, it, that, it, 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 not to interrupt, but to interrupt, Mark, the, you yeah. say dull, dull, dangerous. And I add the uh, an absolutely critical because what these yeah. people are doing, safety inspection, is if you're a cynic, let's just say, and you don't care about human life, but all businesses do. Yeah. You can't have uh, operations failing or blowing up or fires happening. Yeah. So the dull, dangerous thing is incredibly important, but it's, in fact, repetitive, dull, dangerous, which is. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that comes along with, OK, hey, uh, how you how you make those those jobs to go away? Because, A, you don't want them. B, it's expensive. And yeah. funny enough, third, those guys which are doing that right now are usually those which are most uh, experienced because they can just go in a room full of pumps and motors yeah. and just listen and say, oh, this pump is wrong or that's not working, right? So, um, and, and that means we, we, we are under extreme pressure to take their jobs away, uh, to put it to robots because those jobs will not be there in, in, in the near future uh, because the humans are not there anymore. So um, what, what we said was saying uh, was, uh, how can we make that happen? And our solution was because we're coming out of yeah, 20, 20 years of robotics being in the field of uh, constantly doing industrial competitions. Um, and we, we, we had that challenge, uh, it's called Argos Challenge, which was uh, called by Total Energies. Uh, where the job was to place a robot on a substation, uh, sorry, on, a, on an oil and gas platform uh, somewhere off offshore, possible, yeah. and do the task of those operators, and also be the the last man standing. So, in the case of whatever robot can Some do action. something, right? Yeah, in fact, for calibration, is you know, I mean, total total uh, did that because they had a, a very serious accident and. Yeah, it, it, as as most industries have had accidents, it's the, it's the nature of industries. Yeah. And they wisely thought, okay, how do we not how do we do better next time with better training, but yeah. become radically better at yeah. identifying and preventing accidents, right? And that's what's sort of the motivation. That was, that grand yeah. challenge. That was an Elgin platform somewhere in northern uh, seas uh, above Europe, right? And yeah. uh, the total cost was like, they, they, as I remember that correctly, they couldn't go to the platform. Uh, uh, they they evacuated and then they couldn't go there for 50 days. Yeah. Um, and the total costs uh, with uh, the, the, what they needed to pay to the European Union uh, and, and the, the stock markets uh, was at something between five and 10 billion. Uh, really a lot of money. When out of that, by the way, we won that, what we won that Argos Challenge, and out of that, the, the ID spent off and saying, hey, why are we not trying to make that really a product? And then we, we, we partnered with, a, with another company called X Robotics, which are the only one right now which are producing on Mars ATEX certified robots, which somehow can be deployed in Mars as well. Um, and um, this, this, is, a, this is a uh, tracked slash wheeled robot. That, uh, yeah, it's a tracked robot. Yeah. yeah. And, and for the those critical... which, 
don't know what ATEX means. ATEX means that the robot itself is, uh, is, is, is shielded. Then when it, when it crosses the gas cloud, it's not igniting the gas cloud, which is super exactly. important if you want to work on oil, gas, and uh, also chemical, right? Exactly. The, the certifications yeah. for, it, it, for a lot of our listeners won't know this. You know this. And I worked in some of those industries. In order to have any piece of equipment in, in an environment where there is ignitable gas, any mm. kind of ignitable fluids, chemicals, whether it's uh, uh, you know your your smartphone, whether it's a you know a meter reader, doesn't matter what the equipment is, a truck, it has to be tested and certified that it cannot cause an ignition, a light, yeah. cause a fire. Non-trivial engineering challenge to make equipment like that, first of all, and then it's non-trivial to get certification. So that yeah. because obviously, if you're inspecting something to avoid a fire, you don't want to be the, the you don't yeah. want to be the cause of the fire. It's sort of self-evident. <laughs> exactly. Turns out it's very difficult to get that certification. So anyway, yeah. that's that's relevant because you partner with somebody who's already been. You're not trying to you're not trying to uh, solve somebody else's problem. You partner with somebody who solved that very difficult problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and they had had a very good experience because they started from project which they done together with Shell. Uh, uh, they they built a robot which was ATEX certified and it was really like the it can everything including cook uh, cooking coffee. Uh, but it was well over specified and engineered, and they come with with a with the approach which we liked, which was kiss, keep it simple and stupid, right? So we, we dumped down the thing, and then the only stuff or the, the thing what the robot was doing was more or less traveling around and measuring gas, which is one of the uh, important topics is really t- checking out for fugitive gas emissions in those environments. And out of that, over the years now, we we got to a point where we have over sixty robots in in the world uh, on four continents. Which are mostly in oil and gas, but now more and more oil and chemical, uh, um, which are operating there and uh, collecting the data. And we add on top of that not only the the robot brain, which is then enabling the robot to be completely autonomous and do the mission tasks which uh, the robot gets assigned to, uh, but we're also running the fleet software, which then allows. Um, to integrate that in the cloud infrastructure of the customer. And then you just add simply by adding a robot, by, by buying it, and then it immediately gets uh, part of the fleet. And that fleet management software uh, allows the planning in a 3D digital twin uh, so that uh, you can easily say, I want to have point of interest, 1, 5, 10, 30, whatever, and the robot is navigated to it and collect the data. And, 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 and part of that is also that we call it skill store, uh, where we're adding skills like apps you have on your mobile phone, which are translating the raw data into useful information because right. the customers don't want to have a picture of a manometer. They want to have the pressure, the temperature, or, or the change, et cetera. Right. So, so all right. the AI intelligence to make really out of that an, an, a software which can be integrated into their asset management system or digital twins so that we, we have that full end-to-end solution where you're just sending off robots and saying, I want to have these data points and the robot goes and, and collects the data points. And uh, now we, we it's really impressive because we've seen now customers which are having five hours mission and the robot collects more than 200 points of interest and, um, and it's just do that every day or even more than three times a day, well, constantly operating. So what, what, you're, what you're seeing and you're validating as a couple of things. First, it's not just that the system, the software that enables a fleet of robots to do something is, quote, replacing a person. Indeed, it's it's doing more than mm-hmm. that. It's ample, to your point, the person that you would use for that is a highly skilled person. You'd want them to do a, a higher order task in terms of productivity. So you've amplified that person. You don't have to hire 
have you can't do two jobs. You don't. There's not another person to hire. So I always think of robots as human amplifiers, and and all the narrative has always been about replacing people. Mm-hmm. You know, automation is obviously simplistically replaces people, but that's right. not what happens in the broad economy. They become amplifiers, no. and and the fact that your company exists epitomizes sort of my my book's theme. Of course, I keep uh, hawking my book because that's what you do when you write a book. But my book's theme is about the future. The near future has already been invented. And the invention that you take advantage of is the the robots that can function in a real world are really robots. They're not, you don't have to invent them. They, they exist. You could, you, you could buy a lease them. The cloud, which makes this possible, that is the, the platform, the utility function of the cloud that links your system, customer to the robot, that already exists. It's now truly useful. Course, and then of course the, the the third the third feature is that the the software the AI engine that can take can, can amplify or, or, or emulate what humans do, which is take a, a huge amount of data and sort of do things that are not computational. They're they're more in my language I like to use is more advisory. Well, this looks odd. This looks out of out of character, I think you should look at it. The you is not a computer. The you is they then alert the skilled human to say, here's a a point of interest. This pump doesn't seem to be behaving within the normal boundaries or there seems to be a gas leak here. This is, I mean, what's interesting to me is that the market, uh, in a sense, the world has not absorbed the fact I'll use a good example, a specific one. You, the companies like you, yours exist. Everyone is still operating on the framework of, well, maybe we could get automation to do useful things, you know, yet. <laughs> but already it's happening, right? The the uh, the question for you as a business is, do you want velocity? You want customers to know you exist. But if you're sort of an analyst looking at this, you'd say, well, it's, it's not a question. Can no. the capability exist? Can we fill that gap? Obviously, you, we, we can. What you just described is not just, oh, I got one guy and I got a robot to one-to-one replacement. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it's, it's not working like that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nonlinear replacement uh, expansion. Yeah. And, and I don't know if we have enough data to say that it's, it's the equivalent of, of a 10x gain in human functionality. But it has to be something like that because you know, the companies aren't – first of all, I don't think companies – this has been my experience when I'm when I'm a, been a buyer of technology years ago when I did useful work at one point in my life. You don't you don't take the risk and the hassle of doing something new. You're offering something different, unless the something different is a step function better than what you're doing. Otherwise, you'll just keep trying to find the employee to do the inspection. You'll hire you'll train somebody. You say you know what? I'll just find somebody who doesn't have a college degree. I'll train them. That's a lot of work, but I understand that. I, along comes Mark Dassler and says, I have a cloud-based AI-centric solution that uses robots. That's like alarm bells go off in a lot of people's heads on the customers you talk to. It's like, this sounds scary, sounds complicated, sounds high risk. No. But you're, you're seeing a dip. what's happening now is the market is beginning to realize it's not scary anymore. It's, it's not, I mean, not scary anymore. It is everybody recognized that uh, the workforce has a very high, let's say, age already. And they realize that right. soon the people are coming in. So right. for example, when we're talking about uh, uh, oil and gas, uh, there's the replacement rate is two to one. Two people leaving, one is coming. 
first of all, it's not not a hot workspace anymore. Nobody wants to be in oil and gas anymore. But everyone wants to be in renewables <laughs> or do something which is. Yeah, they, they all like, want to be in social apps. They all want to do. They also. Want to do. Well, <laughs> yeah, the other part of that, but but that, yeah. the, the, funny enough, the, when we go go to back to power because. First, it's all about okay. Let's place a robot on a substation, and then we can do the inspection tasks, uh, which we do right now every month, which we sometimes only do every quarter. We should do it actually every week. I bet would be every day, and then they realize, oh wait, that means also in as a first responder, we have a robot available, and right. the, their problem is that they have uh, sometimes an alert somewhere in the system, and then they need to put something in a car. And this pe- this person needs to travel two hours right. to go to the next substation because they have already a lot of automation. And then they show up there in the substation that oh, they have the wrong tools, it's not the right alarm, etc. So I have one of those scare resources now spending four hours driving from right. A to B. Yeah, right. uh, that, that doesn't make sense, and that, that's ineffective. And they get to the point where they're realizing, oh wait, those engineers we're hiring, they don't have even have a driving license anymore. Right. So, uh, right. Or, what, or what should I do? They, if they they do have to drive, they know where to drive, what to take, when they need to get there, and and of course, to, to your point about taking advantage of the mo- of the mobile robot, is that clearly when you put stationary cameras and stationary sensors in any kind of complex facility, they may not be in the right place. Self evidently, obviously, the the, the 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 tracked, wheeled, or walking bot can. Can navigate, go places either autonomously or by direction. Now, it's this it's a game changer, uh, and what we've seen because of the uh, the supply chain disruptions from the lockdowns, which which caused the discontinuity, making people realize, you know, I don't really have good visibility across all classes of supply chains. This gives you visibility and, and optionality, and and of course, there's the energy markets are stressed by the uh, the uh, the grotesque invasion Russia has engaged in. So we now know that the energy supply chains require more flexibility, more visibility, more optionality. Mm-hmm. Exactly the time, to your point, when there are fewer people available to deploy. Uh, but I mean, look, the long history of automation, uh, people get very confused about the word automation and robots. Humans have been automating mm-hmm. stuff since the, the time of the Greeks and the Romans. We, we want right. to automate things, not because there aren't enough humans, but because more fundamentally, it's more productive, makes economies wealthier, safer, better. So it, 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 we get this sort of bifurcated silliness of, oh, it's a robot, the rise of the machines replacing people. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about the receptivity of, of the market. We're, you know, we see the same thing in our, in our orbit, in our, uh, in our investment fund, where CEOs will talk about the conversion that's happened. The people you're talking to are not just more comfortable with AI software, cloud-based hmm. things. But the age cohort you're increasingly talking to, the executive level decision makers are increasingly millennials, uh, which I'm not. You may be. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, no, I'm not. I was, uh, but who grew up in in the age where there not only is a comfort with the um, idea of a cloud, but an expectation that things in my workplace should start to be as easy as things in my entertainment place, right? That yeah. kind of expectation. Exactly. So that, and you, you feel that 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 people and and, and sometimes also uh, let's say a point in expectation management we need to do with our customers because 
they think that the robots they're going to use for uh, um, inspection tasks in oil, gas, chemical, whatever, uh, works like their uh, vacuum cleaner robot at home. Yeah? And the reality is that that's a different challenge, right? Uh, you, you're moving robots in a in a high uh, high risk critical infrastructure um, that needs to be do do a lot more than bouncing from wall to wall, right? Um, so th there's there's a kind of challenge in there to explain the humans what can robots do and what not. And funny enough, what, what we learned was um, uh, the best way to teach people how the robot sees the world is to put them into remote control and use the cameras of the robot to control the robot and driving around. Right? So we usually ah. we take a spot or something like that because they understand then how the world for the robot looks like. Right. That, for example, you cannot read a manometer, which is an eyesight level of a human. Yeah, right. yeah you need to move far way back and you need to zoom in, which works when right. you have a lot of space, right. but probably not works when you have small corridors. So these are the challenges where the customers then learn, oh, wait, that, that's not possible because of, yes, uh, or we send them around with uh, little cameras, which they need to put on their belt. Uh, because it's more or less a, a side of uh, a level of, uh, uh, of what the robot sees. And then right. they need to do the inspection rounds with that. And then realize, okay, the, the robot can cover only 60 to 80% of the, the stuff. The rest we need, need might have a, have a human do that, or we need uh, an IoT solution or something like that to solve that problem. As you, that's interesting. So the, and, and, and I saw that at your website and it sort of uh, it jumped out at me it was obviously a clever uh, explanatory tool. When you, you show video of what the robot's seeing when it's wa walking or driving through an industrial facility, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, because the nature of cameras as they exist today, and not just their physical height, but the nature of cameras, they're different than human eyes. So now you, but it's intuitively obvious what the what that robot's going to see or not going to see. So that's mm -hmm. a, a very clever way to do it. I wonder, though, as you think about this, I mean, that, that solves a problem by virtue of on the training mode, the training phase. Mm. Of, you're training the robot like you train a person, right? In yeah. a sense, um, yeah. you've, got, you've got to spend some time in training. And once you've done the training, the, mm. the robot will replicate that. Mm -hmm. um, when you're watching the landscape of your software in order to integrate it into your supervisory uh, tools, uh, it's obvious that there are going to be We'll get we'll get the Elon Musk and Optimus in a minute, but Boston mm -hmm. Dynamics, uh, you know, they're not the only ones making, uh, you know, roughly people-sized anthropomorphic robots. Uh, as you, mm -hmm. militaries have pushed that technology in large part because if you in in, in the U.S. Navy it was for firefighting. If you want to have a a robot fight a fire on a ship instead of a person, you pretty much have to have the robot operate a lot like a human. Because the nature mm -hmm. of the physical environment, the yeah. carry hoses, yeah. turn valves, open doors, all those things. So, I, you know, that, that looks like that's coming. It looks harder and more expensive. So I, I kind of liked what you, um, what you again, put at your, your website. And I know one of your first investors used the analogy of it. You want to have a robot that does the equivalent of, if you want to open a bottle, you're going to use a corkscrew versus a, a more expensive tool like a Swiss Army knife. Mm -hmm. um, the Swiss Army knife is very useful for certain classes of, optionality but if you know you're only be opening wine bottles you're going to use a corkscrew mm -hmm. uh, so if you're if you're just going to be doing inspecting you're going to use robots that are optimized for inspecting for inspection task exactly 
And I, I think that, that that's that's also one of the things that many of of those which are in the industry uh, just uh, the tech enthusiasts looking at the industry saying, "Oh well, we will have uh, the Optimus or the the, the Atlas uh, robot which walking around, etc., and doing all the stuff." But reality is that if you have a certain use case to make a proper business case out of that, you rather try to optimize the hardware to do the use case. So for example, right. do you want to have an, a robot which is capable of carrying five kilograms on two legs and working in a warehouse? Or do you want to have a robot which has wheels and just can carry 500 kilograms in a warehouse? Yeah, guess guess what? You probably go to the, to the one which is specialized for the task because that's right. much more economical and it makes exactly. absolutely sense. So, um, so the, the the ultimate robot which uh, uh, um, Elon is currently building, I think it's clearly also more targeted on on a, on a, on a B two C area. Um, probably you need to go first to B two B and then later go to B two C. But um, but the, the, he promised like should twenty thousand or something like that. I yeah. think it would take a while to get down there. It, uh, it, but uh, I, I would I would I, take the bet he he won't get there in real terms. He'll get if inflation yeah. like. Uh, yeah, no. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but because Elon Musk always, always somehow manages to get it. Up. <laughs> I know, I, I know. Like, I'm okay, with you on that. with a Tesla Model Three or something. Everyone's like, he can't have a car for 30k or whatever. And now, well, he didn't have to hit 30k, but he hit 35k or something like that. It was like, uh, oh, oh, crazy. It, yeah, it, it, he claims that still, as as realized, it's still a sixty thousand dollar car without subsidies and all the rest. But but it's okay. Uh, sixty thousand well, is 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 very different than one hundred and twenty, right? Which is where the Mercedes yeah. is and those kinds of things. Yeah. Also, I don't. I like you. I don't discount. Um, I think it's done impressive work, and I do think that uh, if he, if anybody could push the boundaries and figure, figure out innovative ways to 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 get what we'll call a low cost robot that's multifunction, yeah. probably him. But come back to to the to today's world of what you can do now. Like I know that you guys have partnered with Boston Dynamics uh, Spot mm-hmm. Mini, the the dog, the anthropomorphic dog-like yes. robot. And that's an interesting use case because it, it obviously, by virtue of the fact they can walk, can do things that the track, the wheel ones can't do is it can't do at all, yes. which is go upstairs. So yes. if you're in a facility, uh, I mean, some track vehicles go upstairs, but by and large, if, if you're in a facility where the inspection requires going upstairs, probably mm-hmm. going to want to have a walker to do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And th- that robot, if funny if, enough, if we're to believe the, oh, there you go. <laughs> we're not, since we can't, we're going to do audio only. What Mark is showing yeah. me, he moved his camera to show me that he's got spot mini sleeping by his, by his <laughs> Boston Dynamics robot. But if, if we believe the public, the data, that's it's $75,000 roughly for a spot mini, this is profoundly different than what we, we think the, um, their Atlas robot costs, which may be half a million, $2 million to build a single unit. Uh, so, you know, the world's not going to buy million dollar robots. Uh, they're interesting uh, demonstrations, but the world will buy, let's say a hundred thousand dollar robot because mm-hmm. amortized over its, its useful life and its utility function 24 seven, it starts to look cheaper per hour than a person that you have to hire. It is, I mean, it's, it's, it is already. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, you, if you take, for example, if you, let's take Spot, because it's an, an amazing uh, example, right? So the, the, the full-fledged Spot 
uh, cost a little bit more than 100,000 with docking station and, and inspection unit, etc. Because obviously you want to have also some service around it. To, to you got to put stuff on the for three years. Yeah, the the, yeah. Base, the the base model that that can walk but can't do anything useful other than walk. Is, yeah, it's, it's not what you it's, want. It's, like, it's fun for demonstration, and it's always great to, to let's say, spread the word about it. But obviously, they are more specialized to, to put the sensors on top of it. So, but anyways, when, when you calculate then the, over the lifetime of the robots, the, the, the hourly rate, because of the robot can not only work 220 days or uh, 240 days per year, it can actually work three, 365 days. Right. Plus, well, it works like 10 hours per day with charging time and all. So, that is actually quite cheap. So you're ending up somewhere uh, between thirty to sixty uh, sixty dollars per hour, which is not so expensive for for something in, a, in that space where you're using actually uh, uh, humans to to run around. And the full fledged cost of an engineer uh, for US, for example, full fledged pension fund up and down training, etc. Right. So it's like above one hundred thirty US dollars in the oil and gas industry. So it's quite expensive. Why it cannot do so much as a human, but for especially that specialized task of running around and doing inspection, it's perfect. Um, and looking just a little bit ahead, don't don't forget. I mean, there's more competitors on the market than than just uh, Spot, and Spot is the most capable and at least two years, uh, uh, um, uh, let's say, further uh, than than their competitors. Um, but um, there's more coming, and there will be more coming because if we just look at the amount of investment going into robotics hardware right now, right. not robotics robotics uh, 1.0, like robots 2.0, so mobile ones, right? Yeah. So there's there's so much money flowing in, and then you have this kind of uh, evangelist like Elon Musk running forward, and everybody's like, oh, if Elon is doing that, then we should do that as well, and here's more money and go in there. Because of that, you have a huge acceleration um, effect for for that industry. And uh, that means you get more startups, more more innovation, and obviously then at a certain point also uh, robots at scale for a low price. I mean, I think Tencent came up with the model. I don't know if Tencent or Unitree. They have also walking four leg robots. Uh, obviously, not 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 in that level where it spot is right now. But it, they cost about ten thousand US dollars or something. Like that. So yeah, nothing. Well, you know, you make a you make a first of all, obviously, if if the market is at this inflection, which I think it is, you know, you're you're very well positioned because obviously if there's no inflection, there's no growth. I mean, you yeah. your business is anchored in managing fleets, not managing one. So you need yeah. you need fleets. A fleet could be four because it's obviously much harder to manage four than one. And it gets mm. very complicated non-linearly, as you know, as you increase the, the quantity. Yeah. But you you make a very good point about what Elon Musk is doing. Is that you know we all it's impossible to avoid Elon Musk in general. It's certainly not <laughs> In, not just in cars, but in space, but now yeah. in, in robots. And and I and I'm thrilled, frankly, that he's doing the the leading edge because what happens, as you know, in the industrial world, is if people think, and I'll just be simplistic, if they think that Spot Mini is the leading edge, as good as it's going to get, the, the psychology of this is interesting. Then you know, it's kind of this is not an inflection point. If you think where Elon Musk is going is the leading edge. Then Spot Mini kind of feels like, you know, it's, this is just a standard product now. It's no longer a leading edge thing. It's in the comfort level with deploying a standard product in general in, in, in conservative industries is much higher than I'm on the bleeding edge. No one wants to really be on the bleeding edge. They say that, but they 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 they, they want they want the comfort that they're doing something that will work and that seems yeah. imaginative but not too scary. So 
it, it is it is an interesting uh, turning point. But let me. I want to come back to the um, your experience with uh, what, what you, as you know, in the in the industry is called onboarding. So when you yeah. when you come with yeah. a new technology or product, new software in particular. So you're you're essentially a software centric business, but all software centric businesses by definition, interface with other people or machines or both. They have mm-hmm. the human machines interface has always been the challenge. So onboarding, which is like training the robot, training people to train the robots. Yeah. This has been, I think, uh, one of the big barriers for a lot of new technologies, because mm-hmm. once people realize what the onboarding it entails, even if they think the benefits there, if the onboarding is too gross, too hard, too expensive, just dis- disruptive, you, you, you know, if, that, if it feels like that to the to the uh, the customer, then it's very tough sell. I had this, you know, just again, I'm looking at your website not as a novice. I sort of been tracking you guys, stalking you online. As you, yeah, we need more. Yeah, more stalkers. It looks like you guys have fig- you figured that out. I mean, and it's it's that's so important. This whole domain of technology that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, so walk us through. Um, you know, you go to the customer, and, and and what are you telling them in terms of the the the, the process of onboarding, so they can they can yeah. they can uh, use the uh, the cloud to manage their bots. Yeah, yeah. So so we we start early in and then okay, hey, our robots are working great and everything will be fine, and you get an more or less more four hours training, one remote, one on site, and then everything works. Uh, reality is that that some, as we we mentioned before, that the customers expect that it works like they are their mobile app, right? And obviously, in in the world of a robot, there's so many corner cases uh, which the robot doesn't know yet, yeah, because the robot was not trained for that. For example, um, don't walk over hoses, or don't drive over hoses, or um, uh, don't uh, try to see bikes. Bikes are really pain because they have it's. <laughs> little wheels etc so it's, it's tough to see them etc so there is constantly something in those environments where the robot is which is actually changing i mean you come to the customer saying hey here's the oil and gas plant uh, and say okay great let's let's send the robot in and then reality is that the robot finds always something which humans are obviously easy circumvent or live with that or change it but uh, a robot is not so smart yet so um, what we what we took out of that was okay we need to have a different onboarding process uh, and now we're starting actually quite early we're making sure that we have um, the right people already more or less directly after the sales pitch in a kind of workshop where we're working with the customers towards to understand what is the need of the customers to clarify uh, also the expectation to teach them what is the robot actually seeing because then they, they realize okay that's what I can achieve for that. And then moving forward into the process when we do a pre-deployment training, usually then remotely with the customer, where the customer can, can control, learn the software already. Um, and then we move towards an on-site, where on-site we do usually a training with those, uh, let's say, based on the train-to-trainer concept, because we are in building fleets, means we make sure that uh, we have uh, people at the customer side, which are then experts and therefore can spread the word and also train the rest of the people which are using in the organization, the robots. Um, and then we put on top of it, we call it the customer success manager, uh, recently renamed from customer happiness manager, but everybody told me that's not serious enough for that industry. Like, okay, I think, I think customer, customer happiness manager is better than customer success manager, but go, yeah, go actually, ahead. Yeah, but it's, it's, it, it didn't resonate so well in the oil and gas industry. Obviously, it's... Uh, they don't want to be happy not... in the oil and gas industry. They, they're no, just so used to being miserable. 
It's, yeah, it's not serious enough. We do stuff which can explode and say, okay, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's go with success. Sounds better. Um, so um, so we, we have that now, which is, which is a, um, a team of people which are constantly working with the customer so that the customer is, is in the driver's seat and, and, and therefore plans autonomous missions and executes them with, with them, et cetera. But the, 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 let's say the, the customer success man always in the backside and, and talking with the customer, figuring out what, what did you cover? What, what is a problem? What can we do? How can we improve that? Uh, so that, there's a couple of those things which which running around that, which um, which helps out now really to bring the success to the customer. So that's the success is the customer also getting to pointing. Okay, we we tried now four four or five robots. We now go to scale. Now we we ask for more robots, all the different types, because we have learned now how it's operating. But uh, it is a kind of uh, human-centered approach again to really make sure that the human can use that tool, the tool of a robot. And understand that that it's for him or for her um, uh, uh, um, an extended arm to do their job and uh, to place them in those areas which uh, they anyway doesn't really want to go. So the dull, dangerous, and uh, dull, dangerous, and dirty jobs, right? Um, and there we have uh, we have very good resonation or resonate very good with the customer. We have really good successes, which we can also always share then with uh, with the customer itself. Like uh, we start now with the mission of ten POIs, which runs for twenty minutes or whatever. And now we are at two hours robots operating, collecting two hundred point of interest, uh, right. which right. then fed into your API right. directly in the digital twin. Hey, but, well, here's so, a solution. If you were obviously every case is slightly different or sometimes profoundly different. But yeah. sort of, again, the, you know, order of magnitude. So onboarding is a process that can take days and weeks. It's not hours. I mean, I can't imagine an industrial situation where you train anybody in an hour or two. Mm -hmm. But certainly, it sounds like what you're describing is a pretty conventional, if I were onboarding a person, if I hired, not a robot yeah. system, but I hired a person and I had to Tell them protocols of the company, you know, how everything works, show them around the facility. Yeah. You know, everybody's trained, not everybody, a lot of people have trained somebody for something. And you have a, a sense that it, it takes an investment of your personal time to train yeah. an assistant for you to do something helpful for you. Yeah. So that's sort of the yeah. psychology that you're that you're working on. That you're you're training yeah. a virtual person, if you like, yeah. in the same kind of manner. So it takes days, but not uh, not yeah. months. No, no, no. We, we talk really about a few days until you really figured out how yeah. how the machine is working. It's more yeah. like uh, usually it, it, like four four hours intensive working with that. You understand how the machine works, how the system works, how, how our software works, etc. So everything is is ready to use. But then obviously um, we we learn all the corner cases, right? Yeah. So there's there's a lot of things which uh, well where, where a human, as I said, just navigates around it, and a robot can't because. It has tracks. They navigate around it without even narrow. thinking. About it. So if you ask yeah, yeah, them, exactly. yeah, they just exactly. it's a reflex, like stepping over a hose. You wouldn't even think to tell somebody there was a hose there. The robot gets there and it sees the hose and stops or whatever. The uh, but you know you're, you're what you're describing, of course, is a the epitome of my my favorite word that's not replaced but is now incorporated into the lexicon of roboticists, which is cobot. And, you know, it's a, a phrase created by Peshkin and Colgate at Northwestern University. Where what they what they and this is going back they published this this uh, article created the phrase cobot back in I think it was in 1999 or 2000 in a, in a mm -hmm. journal of robotics the idea being that it's collaborative robotics 
uh, are different than a pure robot. A robot that's bolted to the floor in a back to where I started in a cage to keep people away so the robot doesn't kill them because you know it doesn't can't sense people doesn't know that they are welding car parts. Okay, that's a robot. It's just automated. Does the but what we're describing is robots that are working with people and around people that form a collaboration both for training and operations. This is why they created the phrase cobot instead of robot. Mm-hmm. And I know the International Federation of Robotics is now tracking a category called cobots, although obviously that category is elastic because um, it depends on like, what you're doing, in my view, is a cobotic operation, not a robotic, because everything you're describing entails collaboration with humans. It's not a replacement of humans. It's a collaboration with humans. And so, yeah. so what, one, of my, one of my hopes is that we'll eventually get to a greater recognition of that because I think the psychology of that will improve first acceptance as a business matter because it's a collaborative tool and also t- uh, take some of the silly uh, Terminator science fiction out of, oh, yeah. <laughs> out of, out of the back of people's oh, yeah. heads. Uh, so let, let me, you know, let me come back to a, a big picture thing. So you, you, you obviously have, uh, by virtue of starting a company, successfully starting a company. Uh, you have a dog in the race and how you think about the future. But let, I'm going to ask you the question anyway, because you're a practitioner. So where, where do you see, uh, let's put some, to the extent you want to put numbers, but, and again, they're not forecast for, for your company because you'll, you'll succeed. I, I think you're already succeeding, but the, the market of what you're working in, which is, I think are cobots, but we'll call it the, the entrance yeah. of mobile distributed robots into industrial environments, which is where they go first for obvious reasons. So you see this market growing, obviously, but give me a sense of where you think it is in five and 10 years, not in 20 years, not in five months, but the next few to five years, where where do you see it? I have a very specific number from that. Funny enough, because when when I was uh, looking at the business, I I tried to estimate that uh, based on the numbers, or let's say what we got from our customers. And we ended up with saying, okay, that is uh, uh, easily a, um, a multi-billion dollar market, like like something between 40 to 70 billion by 2030 already. And uh, then we, we found two studies. One was done by BCG. Um, the other one is very similar, uh, which estimated that that market is around 120 billion US dollar by 2030. So I was not off because they added also some other stuff in there. Uh, right. but, but I see that that we we are now having those robots. And we have proven it works for just pure data collection. Robot runs around and just tries to make sense out of the world and collect the data needed for our digital twins and our asset management systems or uh, however you control your plans. Um, but this is just the beginning because as we're coming back to Optimus and Atlas, right, the, the, the next step is obviously to have robots perform operations, manipulation tasks within sure. those environment because exactly. you, you really want to get the humans out, especially if you're in, in, a, in a very dangerous uh, environment. So you just think about well, sure. Sure. Of oil and gas, yeah. Um, so therefore, you need to have the robots to actually uh, turn a valve, press a button, uh, and maybe even later uh, really start uh, metalworks or painting works or whatever. So it's getting more and more complex over time. Yeah, exactly. And and when we're looking at this, that, that we see now the first platforms like Spot already with an arm and other robots with that's uh, lagged or driven, which have arms. Uh, so th- that's more coming in. 
Um, and, and and then we see obviously those two-legged robots because ultimately you want to have actually robots which are more or less capable of navigating purely in a human environment because exactly. that's exactly. why we, how we build the world, right? And sure. we don't want to build the world for robots because we live well, in that world as well. Yeah? Exactly. I mean, this is the, my principal complaint about most automation, most software is that the humans are having to adapt to the machines uh, peculiarities yeah. and really good engineering is the machines adapt to humans. We don't, we, we, we're not slave to them. We end up being slave to them because we can't make machines good enough, but as we make them better, we reverse yeah. the relationship. But an obvious example of where I think, uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that the forecasts probably underestimate the market because people who make the forecasts generally don't, I mean, there's really no easy way to uh, determine what, what I call tipping points and behaviors on the customer side when they they when they in effect capitulate and say I just got to start doing this because I can. Then you get these odd so-called bends in the knee of the curve. But you know we'll, we'll see when that that bend happens. But you know the DARPA subterranean challenge. You know, most of our listeners probably haven't heard about this, but you well know this. I mean, uh, companies, and of course, DARPA is the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency that you know, does famous stuff. This is where, where Atlas got its start. Right. You know, when they did the autonomous vehicle challenge, and then, they did, then they did the robot challenge where you had to have a robot that could walk stairs, turn a valve, open a door, you know, stop a fire. Yeah. So they recently finished their subterranean challenge, which is to have autonomous robots in caves and mines perform tasks. Of course, Spot Mini was, was one of the robots used, tracked robots like you. But what's interesting to me about that, first it was like the other ones, it's I think uh, a catalyst for development and, and demonstrating possibilities. The most interesting possibility from a market perspective, of course, and I've been writing a lot about this, is in the mining industry. M mining, even more so than oil and gas, critical to all the minerals of the world needs have to be mined. Uh, they have mm -hmm. Uh, dangerous. It's a very dangerous business, as everybody knows, and it's short labor. Um, mm -hmm. You need more safety. You need more people. We need more mines. What a great time to start seeing not just safety inspections, but to your point, the actual work being done yeah. subsurface by robots uh, with far fewer people. This is this is this. I think. I think we don't have to speculate that that's possible. It's clearly going to happen. It's now just a question of whether it starts to turn over in a couple of years or it takes, you know, five or ten years. It's that'll that'll be partly driven by the mining industry itself and its appetites mm -hmm. and demands. And but uh, so uh, let's let's uh, um, let's before we close because it's you know you've been generous with your time and typically we you know we try to have podcasts in the. The, the hour zone for 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 the comfort of people who want to listen. But anyway, I could I love robots, as you know, so we could talk about it forever. Let's come back to uh, uh, Optimus and Elon Musk because um, you you were just talking about ultimately, like I as I said, I've written about is that robots have to operate where we are. And highly specialized robots are what go first, detect gas, to see something, right? But multi-purpose robots have a real function, especially in environments where there's so many different tasks, which is where we operate personally. And you know, I kind of, I kind of like to want to. I want to guess when Optimus, because Optimus is a multi-purpose robot like Atlas. If it gets built, it looks mm -hmm. like, I mean, by all appearances, it. I mean, 
looks like he's going to build it. I mean, he hasn't built a Cybertruck yet. And the, and the Tesla semi-trailer probably doesn't, I don't think that, I don't know if that happens or not. I mean, he, he's famous for announcing things that that may take longer or be harder. We'll see. Yeah. But on the other hand, he's famous for accomplishing things. So I kind of, I kind of, I would kind of bet on him actually building the Optimus and uh, starting to sell it and probably be the first ones will definitely be more expensive than his long-term target. So let's just set aside the long-term target. If you had a pick, so since you're deep in the field of robotics, deeper than I am, if we were going to do the over-under bet that Elon Musk sells his first Optimus, is it before or after, I'll pick a date, 2025? Here's the point. I'm not quite sure if Elon would be faster than Boston Dynamics. Well, okay. Because, let's, let's put it yeah. different. That's a good point. Or, or, or um, um, what's their name? Uh, agility, agility Robotics. Uh, they're yeah. they're walking. They're agility robotics. The that's true. But I think the key is to really industrialize and have the production capabilities. Yes. And Boston Dynamics yeah. is bought by Hyundai, so they know how to build cars. Huge advantage because cars and robots share a lot in complexity. I, yeah. I agree. So okay, let's let's do it different. Let's do it different. Let's let's do the two two part question to close on. Do we see a uh, a robot like Spot Mini, which is commercially available? So to buy commercial availability, you know, not for homeowners, but for somebody to. Yeah. Do we see commercial availability of an anthropomorphic, which is a walking upright robot, before or after twenty twenty five? Never mind who does it to, for the first guy. Where, where, where's your head on that? Uh, I'm seriously, uh, I'm calculating that we, we as Energy Robotics have our first commercially available robot something in, in 2024 on our hands. Right. We're same page. So that's great. I'm glad that you, you so that's makes pretty cool. So now, now we'll go to Elon because, because it's the Elon Musk game. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter if he's first or last. Let's just use the electric vehicle. So General Motors was first to put an electric car on the road with the infamous yeah. uh, failure of their uh, electric vehicle in California with a lead acid battery. And it took another you know, more than a decade before Tesla came into existence. So he doesn't have to be first to be successful. No. Um, when when does he, does he get Optimus uh, before or after 2025, you think? Yeah, he he, he got to get it for before 2025. Yeah, easily. I mean, oh. because I'm, first of all, he has, uh, if, if Elon Musk is calling you and say, hey, I have a job for you, yes. you might probably yes, follow and go and move yep. right and he'll get he's doing he'll that. get the supply yeah, he, chain going because because he has supply chain power so basically he can he can he can emulate hyundai's uh internal vertical integrated power with his uh we'll call it his his, his brand and buying power to call because if you're calling a motor supplier or a battery maker and you're saying i need an optimized battery for my optimus you're, you're probably going to jump through hoops for elon right and, and and he has the majority of the technology he needs for that. He already had under control, right? They built their own uh, computer. They're building their own sensors because of the cars. They have uh, a, a huge capability of electric motors. They know how to build electric motors, which is key for having a robot, which is electrified. Uh, and he builds batteries. So it's it, it kind of totally has so many already ingredients under his capabilities to really have that full vertically uh, integrated, which I think is a huge benefit for him. And uh, I know he's, he's, uh, he, his visions are always much greater. So I, I truly believe he will be uh, the first one who put it on the market. Question is, uh, is it might be now Hyundai and Boston Dynamics speed up? 
I hope so, uh, because uh, I'm, they, they have different philosophies, and hopefully there will be more than just those two, uh, because oh, we well, need yeah. to have more competitors in the market to really accelerate the market itself, right? It's not helping if there are only two. No, you can't uh, have no. two. I think, I think I mean, I can count at least four I know about that are yeah. on the agility, agility robotics, obviously, is, is one, but there's, there are, a, there's a lot of people that know and have conquered how to make robots walk. But the, the real issue is how can you make them um, commercially viable, which is a, both affordable, high, you know, high quality production, all the rest. Mm. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll end with a prediction, but uh, this, this you don't have to respond to. You're not a publicly traded company, so you don't, you don't, you're not constrained by the same things. But Elon Musk is also a visionary. And if he's looking at really selling millions of robots like he'd like to do, he also knows that most of them are going to go not to consumers initially, but to into businesses, like whether hospitals to, you know, there's a whole set of use cases. So he's going to need a fleet manager. He is going to understand that. He loves software. So I'm just thinking, I know the exit for energy and robotics with this, ma- with this masterful <laughs> cloud-based software. <laughs> uh, I, I honestly, I never thought about that exit yet, but uh, who knows? Who I knows? Mean, uh, who knows? Who I'm knows? Not, just, you know, pl- planting an idea. Who knows? Well, actually, you don't know with him especially, but in general, I think what will happen is the market is going to recognize the the role of uh, supervisory software, and especially to your point, it's at your website, is that every robot has its own, what they call stack, a vertical stack of software for what it can do. Problem is every business doesn't want to buy only one robot from just one vendor and making different robots talk to each other is just like the, you know, it, it's like equivalent in human world is you can't hire people to speak five different languages and expect them to work in the same business. If they speak, you know, Swahili and English and Spanish and German and Latin, you know, and, and Finnish, you got, you, you, you have to have an auto translator and people learn to speak English uh, and there are, there's software that can translate, but that that's what you're doing. You're getting everybody talking the same language, which is not, not easy. It's incredibly difficult uh, to, to blend these things. So, this Absolutely. is. Uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you played the speculation game with me. I appreciate that. We'll we'll have to uh, find somebody who doesn't agree with us so we can take a bet. Because if we agree, we can't we can't make a bet. I mean, I can't I can't bet you a cougarand that you're wrong because you and I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. But uh, well, maybe in the next podcast we find another topic where we disagree. But I think the the, the, the big alignment on this one and uh, the future is. Uh, uh, I think. I always try to tell us that to our employees, we're living in an amazing times, right? So even if there's war, Ukraine and all the, the pressure, but nevertheless, the, the maturity of the humans right now are healthy. Um, we, we, there are more humans dying because of obesity than of, uh, of uh, don't have enough food. So it's like uh, 3 million people died in 2010, I guess, and, uh, on obesity, and 1 million died because of having not enough food. So it's ridiculous which kind of world we're living. Sugar yes. is killing us more than weapons and, and, and not having enough food. So uh, we're living in amazing times, and they're moving so quickly now. What we're seeing with, with mobile phones, cloud computing, all the stuff, that's crazy, right? Um, and and uh, the, the, we have just a wonderful, bright future ahead. And uh, I'm so much it, looking forward to, to be part it, of that. You are singing my song, man. And, you know, my listeners will think I paid you to say that because that's the, no. whole, the whole thesis of my book. And what I say as well, I, I recognize the challenges in the world. Nobody lives uh, on the front end of that challenge 
more than the people in Ukraine and in Germany and your countrymen are facing the uh, blowback from that more than we are in, in here in the United States mm-hmm. by virtue of what's going on. These are all true things. They're all horrible things. But I agree with you. I think we live at one of the most exciting turning points in history. And it's because of exactly the kind of technologies that you're engaged in, the, the, the space that you're in. And to have the biggest problem in the world, in effect, be more obesity than, than starvation, doesn't mean it's that there are people who are underfed. We could, but we know how to solve that problem and we're solving it, conquering it. I, I agree. It, it really is uh, an exciting time. Uh, the prospects are great. You're, 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 uh, you're one of the companies which, which is sort of going to both take advantage of and create it. You know, that old expression, you, you get to invent your future. Well, okay. More like you get to build the future and, and you know, you're helping build that. So that's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for joining me. We'll, uh, We'll talk another time about uh, Optimus and how to manage manage those robots. <laughs> That's how we're doing. As always, if you want to dive deeper into uh, Mark's background or learn more about his company, you go to the web. Uh, the company's URL is hyperlinked on uh, my webpage too. So once again, permit me to uh, close by saying that if you're enjoying these podcasts, please spend a few minutes to give us a rating, uh, favorably, of course, in the usual places. And I'll repeat again that I'm always open to answering uh, questions that you might have. So uh, send questions and comments. Uh, They don't have to be compliments. You can send comments. They're always welcome. With that, until next time, this is Mark Mills signing off for this episode of The Last Optimist. Optimist.